Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, on to the show. It was crushing. It was scary. And I remember seeing him um, with lots of lots of tubes and lots of things hooked up to him. And my first response in that raw moment was, God, what are you doing? I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compel. Real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. You're listening to episode 15 of our podcast, which is the season finale of our first season. So if you want to know what we plan to do after completing this season, stick around after the interview. And if this is your first time joining us, then I'd encourage you to listen to our other episodes as well. You'll hear from a former abortion clinic owner, a death row evangelist, an NFL Super Bowl champion, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas, and many others, all of them sharing about God's compelling love shaping and transforming their lives. Today, you'll hear from Jason and Bethany Pilchard's very raw account of the journey that God took them on with the birth of their special needs son, Zach. Their faith has been tested in ways beyond belief, yet God has been faithful to give them the strength that they needed to ultimately thrive in excruciating circumstances. Well, I'm blessed to be here with Jason and Bethany Pilchard, and uh, we're here sitting in the heart of Denver, Colorado. And uh, Jason, you are the pastor here at Beth Eden Baptist Church. Can you just tell us a little about the church and then how you came here? Sure. Uh, this year, Beth Eden is celebrating its 125th anniversary. So the church was established in 1893, and uh, the senior pastor, Jim Efa, who had been here for uh, about 24 years, retired, and uh, they the church called me to be their pastor. So I have big shoes to fill. Okay, that's great. That's great. And then Beth, you and I were talking earlier, and I think you, that you mentioned you and Jason have been married for, was it 18 years? Yes, coming up on 19 in December. That's great. Can you tell us how did you guys come to be together? Sure. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, and my family moved here to Colorado when I was a freshman in high school and um, started coming to Beth Eden, the church and the school. And Jason and I met um, in the school and became good friends, dated a little bit in high school, and then dated through college um, more seriously. Got it. Okay. And got married shortly um, after Jason graduated, just uh, the next day, actually, um, in wow. December. <laughs> Less than 24 hours after I finished up my last class. So. Wow. <laughs> okay. I've never heard quite that. So we that... had the rehearsal and the wedding on the same day. Oh, my goodness. That's great. So let's step forward through time a little bit. So I know that definitely, you know, a lot of things have gone on in y'all's lives as a married couple. I know at first there were some things that happened. Can you, uh, Jason, would you like to dive into that? Sure. Uh, the bottom line was uh, our first year of marriage was terrible. Um, uh, I was an assistant pastor uh, at, a, at a church and... Um, 
we were busy in ministry, and so it, it didn't seem like we ever seemed to get the time together that we, we wanted to have. Um, I think I had an expectation that our marriage would work a lot better if Beth would just keep becoming a little bit more like me um, yeah. instead of appreciating um, the beauty of how God had made her. And uh, that was making a very unhealthy marriage. And so I think eight, 10 months into our marriage, we both kind of thought it may not work. And we wow. knew what that meant um, for, for, of course, my ministry. I remember nights staying at the church late at night, working, but not really having anything to do and knowing that it was just... Um, I didn't really want to go home because wow. we just we weren't uh, we weren't functioning well together. Yeah. So, yeah. But God used some circumstances towards the end of that first year of our marriage um, to to get my attention um, to help me see how um, how incredibly selfish I was being in the marriage. And um, as 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 I began by God's grace um, to to pursue a more faithful role as a, as a loving husband. Beth responded to that, and um, we've we've been growing and enjoying our marriage uh, more and more uh, ever since then. So. Yeah. Well, t- tell us about you know after that first year of marriage, what kind of happened in, in y'all's marriage after that? When we first got married, we had wanted to have children, and um, it took us about five years before. We, um, I ended up being pregnant, and so those early, early years when we weren't able to have children was that was tough. Um, but God allowed us to, uh, for me to be pregnant, and um, we found out on a Monday. And, and how did how did you feel? Um, elated. My sister was pregnant at the same time. She was a few weeks ahead of me, and so I would, I remember calling her two, two or three times that week and saying. Jen, I feel this. Is this normal? And she would say, yeah, I'm feeling this. And we were just so excited. We would have children together at the same time or similar times. And it was great. Um, That was, we found out I was pregnant on Monday and on Friday I um, lost our baby. And that was, that was very difficult. Um, It was like God was showing us something that we were praying for and we were so excited about you dangling it in front of our face, and then um, he pulled it away, and that was that was hard to understand at the time um, why he would do that. Um, but in his love, he was using that to um, reveal to me that my heart idol was just to be like all my other friends and have children. Um, so by God allowing us to go through this miscarriage, I he revealed what that heart idol was. And I was willing to give that up to him and say, okay, God, I will still serve you. I will still love you, even if you never give me a child. And um, within a couple months later, I was pregnant with Elijah with our first son. And so I'm not, I don't mean to say that God gives you what you want if you give it up first. He doesn't always necessarily do that. Um, But in this case, he chose to bless us that way, and I'm very grateful. Yeah, yeah. Jason, tell us about your first son, uh, Elijah. Because of some of our circumstances, uh, we had a high-risk pregnancy, and so we we got to go to the doctor like once a month, even more frequently than that, and uh, see ultrasounds. And we were doing an ultrasound, and um, 
it was evident that it was a boy. <laughs> and uh, we were leaving the hospital that day and Beth, uh, we, we stepped into the elevator and it was just the two of us. And she looks at me and she says, you're glowing. <laughs> and I was, and uh, we were just so excited to have a little guy. And so, so, so Elijah is now 12. He's 12. Yep. He's 12 years old. That's great. So then walk us forward through time. Tell us about after Elijah was born, you guys became pregnant again, right? Yeah, so uh, we wanted to have more children, um, and uh, so God blessed us. Uh, Beth was expecting again, and uh, there really wasn't much about our second pregnancy that was really different from the first, and really everything had followed a pretty normal pattern, um, and um, we went in fully expecting um, to leave in a few days, having had a very similar experience. And it was a very different experience with our second son. Um, the moment he was delivered, it was evident that there were some substantial differences between him and his brother. Um, he was very hairy. Um, he there were some abnormalities about his face. Uh, the first thing was he was having trouble breathing. And um, so, you know, there's there's that initial moment where the baby is handed to the mother and there's that kind of um, bonding. Instead, they snatched him away and uh, were, were doing, um, you know, all kinds of extra things that we hadn't seen before. And um, we were we were caught off guard by that, but still didn't have any reason to expect that there would be anything abnormal about him. Um, Facebook had just kind of been introduced. Yeah. And so we posted a picture on of our newborn on Facebook. My sister, who's a pediatrician, saw that, called my dad and said, how are Jason and Bethany? And my dad said, well, you know, there's been some complications, but they seem to be doing okay. And she she understood just because of the visual markers oh, wow. of Zach um, that there were some things that were going to be very, very different about him. And my dad tactfully kind of passed that on to me so that I could shepherd Beth through the process. And really, the next three or four months are, were... were uh, Kind of a blur. Um, wow. It was chaos. Um, yeah. After that, Beth, can you just take a moment here and describe to us what was it like there in the delivery room when when Zachary was born? Um, it was it was tough. I wasn't at all expecting um, to have any issues with our with him. He had with me being high risk. He had gone through um, several. Um, ultrasounds that were very, very thorough, and there was nothing that they could tell that was that would be alarming to them. And so we were very much expecting that that he would be a typical child. And I remember they rushed him off to the NICU pretty quickly and ended up, you know, intubating him and mm. all those things. And I remember he was born at very early in the morning. Um, and I remember Jason being in the NICU. Of course, I couldn't go at that time. And he came back and and pulled me into the bathroom. And he just said, the doctors think that there's some significant challenges with, with Zach. And um, we don't know for sure at this time what that's going to look like. And I remember just um, bawling. And 
Yeah. At first, they thought it was Down syndrome that they were checking for. That was the first thing. And I thought, okay, I've, you know, I've seen other kids with Down syndrome. We could do this. And, um, but then we quickly realized that that was not the case, and, and the doctors weren't even really sure at that point what to check for. It was crushing. It was scary. It was overwhelming. I didn't know how our lives were going to change. Um, and the fear of the unknown was just overwhelming yeah. at that moment. Yeah. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. And later that afternoon, I got to go to the NICU to see him for the first time. And I remember seeing him um, with lots of, lots of tubes and lots of things hooked up to him. And... My first response in that raw moment was, God, what are you doing? Why? why?" Um, And I was just crushed. And it it was a very, very tender moment for for Jason and myself to to see him in that situation. Yeah. Jason, can you describe what the next three or four months look like? 
the the diagnosis that they gave him initially was failure to thrive. Mm. Uh, what that meant practically was that he couldn't breathe for himself, he couldn't eat for himself, um, and they didn't know. Um, and, and even for a few years after that, they didn't know what his life would really look like. So we had a million questions. Will he walk? Will he talk? Will he eat? Will he, you know, all kinds of things that normally are kind of assumed for children. We just, we didn't know if he would do any of those things. I think the, one of the hardest parts, but one of the biggest blessings was that God in his sovereignty allowed that, that, um, period of uncertainty to last for years. Mm. Not days, not weeks, not months, years. And what that meant was we couldn't peg our hopes on any confidences that any doctors would give us. Our hopes had to be hung on God alone. And we pray for that. We pray that God would um, grow our trust in him. We pray that God would allow us to lean into him and to love him. We pray for all of those things, but sometimes the answer comes in a way that's completely different than what we expected. And so, you know, just kind of fast forwarding, um, during those uh, three months in the hospital, there were some things that were concluded uh, that all of this was rooted in some kind of genetic disorder, but it didn't line up with any of the normal genetic disorders. um, Quite... um, Actually, Zach is one in a million. Um, he uh, he wasn't able to eat for himself, so he was given a feeding tube. He actually physically could accomplish eating, um, but he had some digestive problems that wouldn't allow him to to take food, and so uh, he he um, got a feeding tube. And then they we left the hospital with them offering us not even a ballpark estimate of what kind of cognitive ability he would have. Um, and so it was um, mid-June of 2000, um, 2008 uh, that we left the hospital, and we left only knowing a handful of things. Beth was going to be a kind of pioneer mom um, in her caring for Zach because they could only tell us certain things that were absolute needs, but there were things that she was going to have to figure out that she wouldn't really be able to ask anybody about Mm -hmm. because his template was so different. Um, Her days would be not only mothering, but figuring out how to mother like you were teaching somebody in a language that you weren't familiar with. Um, Yeah. So can you describe for us what some of those examples might be? So Zach would, um, he had a surgery where he couldn't, no air could come out. And so air would build up in his tummy and that would cause pressure making him to retch, which is kind of like a dry heave. Um, He would do that sometimes 100, 200 times a day. Mm. Sometimes it was for hours at a time nonstop. Um, And the doctors, I would ask, how do, how do I help him to stop retching? Um, they would have no answers. And so there were many days at home where I would do anything I could think of to do to try to get him to stop retching, um, knowing that every time he retched, he could potentially undo his surgery and have to have it redone. Oh, wow. 
And he ended up having to have that initial surgery and then three redos of the same surgery um, because he retched them out. And so there was that, you know, maternal instinct to protect my son, help him to stop retching, but yet I couldn't. Um, And those were, those were long, hard days of, of just trying to figure out, you know, if I turn him a certain way and kind of vent him, then then maybe some of the retching will stop and trying to figure things like that out. Um, and most of the time unsuccessfully. And that was, yeah, that was tough Yeah, to not be able to, as a mother, your instinct is to help your children. I was doing everything I could to help, but it wasn't helping. Yeah. What was it like for your marriage, you know, going in, there'd been no warning signs at all of, you know, anything being abnormal or out of the place or out of the ordinary. And then suddenly, boom, now you're the parents of a special needs child. You know, what, what did that do to y'all's marriage? The, the challenges with Zach were part of it, but another part of that was also the pressures of ministry, which didn't go away. So um, all of those things were kind of pressed, and the fact that we had a two-year-old at the time mm-hmm. who, who didn't understand, who understood much less of this than we did. And he's, he's trying to figure out, I have a brother, but he's not like everybody else's brothers. And um, so it, it was hard on our marriage. But then we could begin to see what God had been accomplishing yeah. for those many years before in driving our marriage commitment deep where it had been so weak at the beginning and how we were going to need to lean into that. Um, every part of our marriage was difficult at that time when Zach was born. Um, we we were really teammates in trying to do ministry and to care for our children, and our marriage was only a very sliver of our existence. So the things that you normally think about as a young married couple, um, you know, fun fun activities together, um, maybe home improvement type things, all of those things were very much sidelined, and again, not for not for days or weeks, but for years, and. Um, I think, I think Beth's idol may have been um, the the hope of having children. I think my idol may have been a, um, a a successful and satisfying marriage, and for a long season that was really on pause. But yeah, the doctor told us he says you you just need to be aware that in about seventy percent of um, marriages where there's an unexpected special needs child, um, it ends in divorce. And um, you know we had we had we had quietly contemplated divorce in our first year and had renewed a commitment to God's idea of marriage. And uh, there have been times that have been hard. But our marriage has grown in this process. It's deeper. It's more full. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't write our story. We wouldn't write our story any differently um, than we have. Um, obviously, there are things for Zach that we would like sometimes to be different, where he's just free from pain and and free from the, the complications of of his life, but, um, there's just, there's nothing that we would do differently. And, um, and, and so, um, God has been pleased to use these challenges to actually drive our marriage deeper. Yeah. You know, I think it's just really encouraging to see that you guys have this endearing love for your son, Zach. And uh, I think it's also encouraging to just see that y'all aren't bitter at God for placing you in this circumstance. Shifting gears here, 
Tell us about one of the medical breakthroughs that you've experienced in just the last few years. So after the first few months until now, um, there were some really, really hard times with his digestive problems where we were leaning into every expert we could and they weren't giving us any solutions. Hmm. And for the better part of three years, it wasn't at all uncommon for Zach to retch hundreds of times a day, uh, which meant we saw our child in constant pain all day, every day, and often all night. And uh, with just with just the, like a, this maternal or paternal urgency of trying to relieve the pain and not being able to do it. Um, so what that meant practically for all of us, our son Elijah has always slept pretty well through Zachy's challenges, but um, for probably two or three years, we almost never slept while we were kind of trying to tag team um, relieving him um, from his pain. So part of the story involved um, uh, having to kind of overcome exhaustion um, in what seemed like a hopeless circumstance. And I say all that to say this, in God's goodness, uh, we got connected with a GI doctor at Children's Hospital who was uh, fun-loving, who's ambitious, who's willing to try out-of-the-box type things. And um, he finally came to a suggestion of a regimen um, um, in helping Zach uh, eliminate his food that finally gave Zach relief. Um, And what that meant was we began to see this little guy who doesn't talk, who doesn't walk, who doesn't feed himself, who has a personality. (laughs) And his personality is fun-loving. He loves to laugh. He loves silly things. He amuses himself. I think he actually takes a delight in amusing others. And we hadn't seen any of that. But now for probably the last five years or so, um, we we wouldn't trade Zach for a quote-unquote normal kid. Mm. Uh, We find find delight and joy in who he is um, that that we just wouldn't want to replace. Yeah. So So what God did then was brought us to a, a place where... We could kind of exhale, and we knew how to manage Zach's care, and it we could build. We do, we have kind of built our life around his management, the management of his care. Uh, but when we're able to do that, um, we got our we got our little guy. Yeah, you love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. 
These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to Stories Uncompelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. For those that are listening, and, and again, I hope I'm asking this in a, in a delicate way. Sure. Uh, what what is Zach's mental capacity? What could it be compared to? Like a uh, what age range? I would say probably about a four to six month old, um, maybe up to eight months. Um, that's generally where he where he is at. Sure. He does understand uh, different ways that we communicate with him. He do, he loves personal touch. Uh, he loves to, people have um, rubbing his head. Yeah. He loves that. He enjoys. Um, holding hands or being able for him to to kind of rub your hand. He loves that. Yeah. Um, things fairly typical of, of that age. Yeah. Yeah. D- does he uh, recognize people? He recognizes the yes. two of y'all? Yes. A really cute story. Um, just the other week, we were standing in line at a store waiting to pay for something, and all of a sudden, we heard a mom say, hey, look, there's Zach. And... We turned and looked, and Zach actually looked up because he heard his name, and he saw a girl in a wheelchair. Um, this mom was with her daughter, who's also in a wheelchair, and Zach saw the girl and recognized her and started kind of giggling and getting antsy. He recognized her, and he was she was a friend of his from school, yeah. and that was just such a neat moment for us to be able to see without him saying anything, how he communicated, hey, it's good to see you. Yeah. Could, could you share with us some of those experiences that, that y'all have been blessed by uniquely because of Zach? There would be so many uh, that it would be hard to really even communicate 
uh, a fraction of them. Um, one that is may seem just really, really silly is our son Zach doesn't walk, um, and he he. Uh, So because he doesn't walk, he plays with sanitized toys and things like that. He's 10 and his skin is like a newborn's skin. Hmm. And so, I mean, how many people get to kind of play with their 10-year-old's toes? (laughs) Most (laughs) kids would be averse to that. Uh, But just like a newborn, you know, we uh, often parents will say, I just wish we could pause this stage. Well, in God's sovereignty, we paused at a stage of like six months. And so um, we... We, we he he giggles at us when we do silly things like a newborn would mm. and and that just keeps going <laughs> yeah. and so uh, we don't we don't long to revisit that stage we get we get to actually experience it all the time um, two other things I would mention would be one is all of the amazing amazing caregivers that we've met um, we have folks that are close, close personal friends that have nothing to do with our church, that we would have no other contact with, um, who's, who have committed their entire lives to helping kids that aren't like other kids. Mm. And to, we see them as heroes. Um, they are sometimes like oxygen to us in the way, that they, the way that they encourage us. And I think the third thing I would say that has been just such a wonderful blessing is um, we're we're part of a church of about 400 people, and we hear this all the time. We still don't fully understand it, but they'll say, "You understand that Zach's not just yours; he's ours." Hmm. To have seen God bless us with a gift of a child that could be a blessing to an entire church body and could teach them lessons. I mean, we mean it when we say we still don't fully understand even what that means, uh, but we see it and uh, we're, we're grateful for that. Jason, you obviously deal with people who bring some of the worst moments in their lives to you looking for counsel, right? They're, they're dealing with massive amounts of suffering, yet you yourself are dealing with suffering at the same time. Were there ever times like early on um, after Zach's birth when you just turned to God and you said, this is too much, I, I can't bear this, I, I can't deal with this anymore? Was there ever a moment like that? Yeah, in fact, there was a moment for Bethany and me together um, that was an early turning point in what the tone was going to look like for how we were going to face these challenges with Zach. Um, it was when Zach was still... Um, only a few months old. He was still in the um, intensive care unit at Children's Hospital. I was on my way to the camp and had stopped in at the house to get some belongings and to, to head out. And Beth was there. And it just felt like we needed a few minutes. And so our thing is walking. We love walking together. We do it three or four times a week if we can. And so we decided to go on a walk. And there was a there's a construction that was taking place near our house. They were putting in uh, Denver's new light rail, first light rail line, and there were some old railroad tracks. And I can still remember exactly where we were crossing those railroad tracks. And we had come to the point where we both just said, we can't do it. We can't do it. And we kind of collectively remembered uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, um, where 
he acknowledged that it, he was weak and that, um, that he needed God's grace and God's strength at work in his life. And he was going to confess that he would embrace his weakness and his inability as long as um, Christ would be magnified in his life. Yeah. And so we kind of took up for the next six months or a year, um, we took up the the uh, testimony of we can't, but God can. Mm. And that was a turning point for us was I think we were, we had been, we had experienced enough of Zach's life that we had begun to take a can-do spirit, but God wanted us to understand that we couldn't do it alone. And that day our hearts were working together and we, we realized we're just not strong. And so we weren't going to be strong anymore. We were going to be weak and we were going to let God's strength mm. be what was evident to those around us and be our hope. Yeah. And we find that there are all kinds of good things that God does um, through pain that maybe he wouldn't um, do another way. Someone has said that pain is God's megaphone to us. Mm. And so we've just tried to learn that when we're hurting most uh, to listen well, because God is is try- is using that to draw us to himself and to refine us. And we should be blessed by that. We should be grateful for that. Yeah. Thank, thanks for sharing that, Jason. Beth, is there anything that you'd like to add on to that in this concept of God using the suffering that you guys have experienced in a way that you can uniquely minister to others, perhaps? I think um, one of the things that God really showed me um, through this process of having Zach was to learn how to help those who are themselves struggling to be able to be empathetic um, with them, to to say, hey, I, I may not understand exactly what you've been through, um, but I have suffered and I have hurt too, and God is there. He will help you through this. He will grow you through this, just as he did for myself. And I think um, that's a valuable lesson. Women like to know that they're not alone in their suffering and to be able to come alongside a sister and say, God hasn't forgotten you. He loves you, and and I do too. And and let me walk through this with you as best as I can. Yeah. Um, that that's been that's been something that has been taught to me by um, that God has taught to me, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, in that same vein, I think there's this beautiful parallel that shouldn't be overlooked in how the same way that you guys care for Zach and that he's dependent on you for every need. Similarly, God cares for us, and we must be dependent on Him from every every need. Can you speak to that? One of the things that God has done in us, in 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 Zach's through Zach's life, and even ministry tribulations, has allowed us to just kind of feed constantly on the own joy of our own salvation, and to make the gospel kind of like the the fire in a home that's constantly warming our hearts um, where we would grow cold without it. So your question is exactly right, that that there is always a parallel between what what we're striving to do for, for Zachy and what God has already done for us and his son. Thank you, Jason and Beth. We both appreciate your time. Thank you for being willing to Uh, visit with us and give us an opportunity to share a little bit of the story 
And we're excited about what God's doing through your program and uh, giving people opportunities to hear how God's work, how God works in people's life um, by simply telling their story. The goodness of God is so evident in Jason and Bethany's story. He graciously tested their marriage early on to prepare them to withstand an unexpected special needs child, something that the majority of marriages don't survive. And he's given them endurance and joy beyond their own strength to walk through year after year of hardship. Their journey isn't over, but our God will be with them every step of the way. And that concludes season one of the Compelled Podcast. You know, when we launched our show three months ago, we really didn't know what the response would be like. But after just a few weeks, we were blown away by the reception. So from the bottom of my heart, let me just say thank you. Thank you for your encouraging emails, your comments, ratings, reviews, and more. And of course, you're probably wondering, will there be a second season? And if so, when? Well, the answer to both of your questions is, I'm not sure yet. You know, we've been prayerfully considering the possibility of doing a second season, and we really want to. And right now, we're actively seeking funding. So if you'd like to learn more, shoot me an email, paul at compelledpodcast.com. If you'd like to stay updated with our progress or be notified of when we plan to release our next season, sign up for our email list at compelledpodcast.com. You can find all the episodes of our podcast at our website or by subscribing to Compelled on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at SiaDesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at Ben.Billups. Our media intern is Frank Allegrea. You can find him on Twitter at TheFrankAllegrea. Our assistant producer is none other than my lovely wife, Sarah Hastings. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We hope to be back again soon with another story of God's compelling love. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.